When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where we are um, looking at the New Covenant today, and also the martyrs of Uganda, thankful for this New Covenant, and thankful for those martyrs as well. This text of Jeremiah 31 is the one that is the most inspirational when it comes to what is happening on the day of Pentecost that we're going to observe on Sunday, the day that the Holy Spirit comes in a new way on all those who follow God, all the believers in Jesus in the upper room. It is not something that just happens in the New Testament. Um, The New Covenant The coming of the Holy Spirit is a prophecy that starts in Jeremiah and other places as well. There is this uh, concern and anticipation of a day when there will be a new economy for how justice is done. Uh, This is the, the, the resetting of the system of retribution that has existed all down through humanity, the cycle of karma, the cycle of law. You break the law and the law breaks you. In fact, if someone uh, that has power over you, like a parent or an, an ancestor, breaks the law or engages in activities that bring bad karma upon you, you and I will suffer from what they have done. Um, And yet that cycle of retribution and blame and shame and judgment is broken in the new covenant. That's what the Lord is saying to Jeremiah. And that's what God is saying to us. The parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. How could a parent eating something cause their children to suffer? Well, we remember the story of, of parents eating fruit and having an effect on their children, the fruit having an effect on their children. It is the story of Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis, that the eating of that fruit that God had told them, that fruit um, in the Garden of Eden set the children's teeth on edge, made them unhappy Um, And we can see from our first parents, Adam and Eve, their first child, Cain, murders his brother, Abel. Um, The cycle of cause and effect that exists in all of us um, is broken in the new covenant. Everyone shall die for their own sins, the Lord says. The teeth of everyone who eats sour grapes shall be set on edge. So immediately the consequence is that you'll get to have the consequences for what you do now, but it won't get passed on in the same way that it has before. Um, but furthermore, this new covenant, this new testament, this new promise, this new relationship between the house of Judah, the house of Israel, uh, will not be like that covenant that was made on Mount Sinai when they came out of the land of Egypt. Um, it'll be different. It'll be written on their hearts rather than tablets of stone. Remember the story of the Exodus and all that drama that happened 
and all the giving of the law and how that changed the way, their relationship with God in a beautiful way. And there were warnings in that covenant. If you break this covenant, the consequences of the covenant will, will have an effect on you. And here, Jeremiah and the Lord is saying that covenant was broken. Even though God was a husband to his wife, Israel, Israel departed from that covenant. There are other texts where um, it talks about this covenant as a marriage covenant between God and God's people. Um, and that the certificate of divorce that Moses, uh, that Moses allowed in, the de- in, in his community was then written by God for the people of Israel. It's metaphorical, of course, and that doesn't mean the relationship is over in any way, shape, or form. And yet, that is the reality of the relationship between God and God's people. The, when we look at the church today and we say, there are a lot of problems in the church. There's a lot of bad things happening and a lot of bad things that have happened. And there will be probably more bad things. I hope we can prevent them but they will come. Um, And it's hard to say, is this the covenant? Is this the one that you've made, God, with us? Is this what we're supposed to be living in? doesn't seem very perfect. And we think of the old covenant. It wasn't perfect either. There was a lot of discussion and a lot of complaint and a lot of um, tension in that relationship. And yet God's love never failed. And the new covenant dials that down. It takes it from tablets of stone to the tablet of the human heart so that each person will no longer need to teach one another by saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. I'll forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. That the, that the thrust of this new covenant that God is inaugurating here, through the words of Jeremiah, long before Jesus comes onto the scene, this new covenant is one of, in, of knowledge from God directly, that no longer the mediator of Moses is needed, no longer the mediator of uh, the covenant in Mount Sinai or even the temple is necessary to know God. Each of us as Christians can know God. The beautiful, one of the things I love about the Episcopal Church is that our membership in this church comes from our baptism, not from uh, joining or pledging or saying something to us formally or a letter of transfer or anything like that. What makes you a member of this church is your baptism. And that's something God did in your life, not something the church did, not something I did or anybody else. Um, that is something that comes from God. Your relationship with God your covenant with God is with you. And that, that's why, um, even though I probably give advice and tell you what I think you should do sometimes, or I hope I don't do that too much, but I do from time to time, that ultimately you can know the Lord. And you don't need me to do that. I want to encourage you in your relationship with God. I want to do whatever I can to equip you in that. But ultimately, you know God already. I don't need to tell you how to know God or that you should know God in a certain way. Um, and my temptation to do that needs to be checked at times, as all of our temptations to do that, to define another person's relationship with God. Um, that is something that only God can do in the new covenant. Because your forgiveness 
And the way God remembers your sin has changed. That God doesn't remember our sin. One of the most difficult things for Christians, or really for anybody, is to forgive. Forgiveness is the the ultimate quest in life. If you want to conquer something or have a challenge, like climbing Mount Everest or sailing in a canoe on the Amazon or something, um, try forgiving. And forgiveness only works in situations that are unforgivable, situations that you just can't forget about or ignore or move on from easily. Forgiveness is something that comes ultimately from God. It is a gift of God. God forgives our iniquity. God forgives us by not remembering our sin anymore. Um, It's hard to imagine God, who we consider to be an infinite being, um, knows a lot of stuff. Um, God says in Scripture, God knows a lot of stuff. God knows the number of hairs on our head, Jesus says. God knows when the sparrows fall and die. God knows these things about this planet, Earth, our island home. And God knows a lot about us. But God chooses to not remember our iniquities. So why do we, why do we dredge up our shame, dredge up our failures, dredge up the ways we've missed the mark, the way we've hurt other people so often and find ourselves paralyzed and crippled by these memories. God is not remembering them. God has dealt with them. So first of all, when it comes to this forgiveness school that we are in as people in this covenant with God, um, to know that God is forgiven us is the ultimate place where forgiveness starts. To know that our forgiveness flows from this covenant that God has made with us. And as Christians, we believe that this covenant is made through the death and burial of Jesus Christ. That that is the forgiveness payment that needed to be made to erase this debt of sin. Um, So that God doesn't remember it anymore. Like going to the bank to pay your student loan or clicking on that website and finding that you owe nothing anymore. Talk about a pretty, pretty happy day. That is what Jesus uses as an illustration of what forgiveness is like. When the, when the guy goes to the king and he owes millions of dollars and the king says, you're forgiven, you don't have to pay any of it. No big deal. Um, that is the, the illustration, this forgiveness of a debt. Um, and yet this debt that we feel that others owe us must come into this covenant too. That our exercises of forgiveness are exercises in remembering differently. Our memories um, trap us in that they remember things a certain way. Obviously, from our perspective, all of our memories are from our perspective. Um, We cannot really know anyone else's memories of anything. And so the healing of memory is something that God offers to us through his son, Jesus Christ, that to forgive our iniquities and to remember our sins no more gives us the possibility of getting a little bit closer to that. You know, there's a lot of talk about the relationship between forgiveness and forgetting. I can forgive, but I can't forget. Well, God seems to be able to do both. And I know we're not God. I know we're not there yet. Um, But ultimately, that is where we're headed. To be able to look at someone that has hurt us and not remember it, 
would be an amazing gift. Now, because of the reality of human nature, because of the the very strong possibility of repeated behavior, um, our our minds don't let us forget. In fact, basically, that is what uh, post-traumatic stress disorder is, is the inability to forget something horrific that's happened to us. And the whole point of that is so so it doesn't happen again. So we create safety. So we are hypervigilant and aware of our surroundings so that that bad thing will not happen again. Like the guy who goes down to the river to get um, maybe one of our ancestors down to the river to get some water. The crocodile grabs his leg, pulls him into the river. He grabs the shore, a root, a branch. He beats the crocodile on the head. Somebody comes and rescues him and pulls him out of the river. Well, the next time he goes down to that river to get water, which he's going to have to do, he's going to hear that swish of the water and he's going to react more than likely and jump out of that water for safety, even when the crocodile isn't there. That's what our minds do to protect us. That's a good thing. God made our minds like that. And so forgiving and forgetting um, is nearly impossible And again, remember, forgiveness really only works in situations that are unforgivable. Um, That is the nature of forgiveness. That is the nature of the monumental miracle of forgiveness that we pray for. Jesus from the cross gave the ultimate statement of forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It does seem like they do know what they are doing. When anyone hurts us, it does seem like they have meticulously crafted this hurt in a laboratory just for us, just to prick that one sensitive part of us that we never thought anyone knew about. And it seems like when someone hurts us in a certain way, that they are hurting the most sensitive part of us, the part that as a wound, perhaps from childhood or some other place, and that is the place that they have crafted just to hurt us. And while that may be true, It certainly could be um, and can be. Um, Jesus from the cross says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Ultimately, forgiveness flows from from a change of mind to see the world the way God sees it, as a group of people who don't really know what they're doing, even when it does seem like they know what they're doing. Um, Forgiveness is this process. Forgiveness is like a train that you get on and you can feel the train moving a little bit. You haven't arrived at the destination yet. The destination of forgiveness is the glories of the heavenly kingdom. It is when we sit at that table with Jesus in that feast in heaven that he has prepared for us, the wedding the wedding supper of the Lamb, that great Eucharist in the sky, which is a feast of abundance and everyone is there. Everyone, Um, even those people that you don't want to be there are probably there too. And ultimately, that vision of forgiveness is the vision that God sets forth in the new covenant, that that, that, that stuff will not be remembered anymore. But the train of forgiveness is moving when you follow Jesus. It's a train. It's a slow train. And it doesn't always get us there that fast. But being on that train is the point that's the train that Jesus is on. And as he, his spirit comes to us in the new covenant, we have the possibility of living into that forgiveness. So today, 
if you can think of that gift of the Holy Spirit in your life and pray, Holy Spirit, help me to forgive just a little bit. Maybe not all the way just yet, but just a little bit. Maybe just as much as God has forgiven me. Amen. Today, the church commemorates the martyrs of Uganda. Um, A very large number of martyrs killed on the same day. 23 Anglican young people and 22 Roman Catholic young people in the historical kingdom of Buganda, which is now called Uganda, the nation of Uganda. Um, They're celebrated um, for uh, for their um, witness to the faith in the midst of a very difficult time. Um, The orders of the king of Buganda at the time, Uganda, was King Mwanga II. Um, His his reign was in the backdrop of the colonial expansion of the British Empire into Uganda, and all the both propping up of local warlords and giving them power and military might and weapons, also with the um, other colonization occupation, division, all the things that went on with that. So the martyrs of Uganda are witnesses not only to the atrocities of this one king, Mwanga II, but also to the atrocity of colonization that the African continent experienced during this time. Um, It is uh, sad that their martyrdom was used by the Church Missionary Society and Anglican Missionary Society to, gain, to garner support for more colonial expansion of the British Empire into Uganda. So they are complex figures, and we'll talk about another reason why they are um, complex figures in our memory, um, not so much in their time. For them, for them uh, their life and deaths were very simple um, in that their witness to Jesus was very, um, very clear. Um, I'm trying to get a picture up of some of them. Um, but the, the, the basics of the story are that this king uh, was someone who was, like many kings of the earth, obsessed with power and prestige and also indulging in his uh, appetites. Um, he would keep harems of young boys from noble families of... Um, of Ugandans as um, as subjects of his abuse. And one day, as many of these young boys became influenced by Christianity and Christian missionaries and learned about the story of Jesus and became Christians as they were there, living there in the capital, subject to this abuse of this tyrant, um, one day decided as a group that they would resist and they would not participate in this anymore, knowing that it might cost them uh, their life. And so they did. They decided they would not um, they would not participate in this abuse any longer, um, as they were ordered to in that really awful situation. Um, they were taken on a long journey um, and told that they would be burned alive, and they were. Um, 
about, you know, this number of 22 and 23 Catholic and Anglican uh, martyrs. And their deaths became symbols of a lot of things, um, both the need for the British Empire to come and stop this king, sort of to protect people, protect the innocent, but also further the expansion of the empire. But also, um, the um, in the aftermath, there were other Anglican bishops um, executed, killed, as this king went on his rampage. But um, it was definitely this king's opposition to Christianity that caused this to happen, and not just um, his anger at these particular people. So that is why they are martyrs, um, for their witness to the faith and their willingness to to resist even under the point of death. Um, and tragically and sadly, the, these martyrs became symbols of anti-LGBT movements within the Anglican Church and Catholic Church of Uganda. So much so that um, in the Anglican Communion, the worldwide Anglican Communion of which we are a part, um, the, the resistance to inclusion and safety for LGBT people in Uganda, um, there is a lot of resistance to keeping that community safe in Uganda. And it is they often point to these martyrs who resisted the predatory abuse of a tyrant as somehow that they are symbols of resisting the pressures of LGBT inclusion, which we know is not true. Um, there is a vast difference between child abuse and abuse and um, and, and a sexual orientation or identity. Um, and those two things are completely different things. And, uh, and yet, in the mind of many Christians in Uganda, they hold these things together. So we as a church in America, we try to bear witness to the fact that, um, that the inclusion of LGBT people in our church is not because um, we somehow think that um, they are suddenly... Um, suddenly changed or anything like that. We're saying that um, because they're people and because they're Christians and because they already have the Holy Spirit and we are recognizing the Holy Spirit um, in this community and, um, and the association with these martyrs um, is certainly there to some degree, but really um, not at all um, the reason for excluding them from the life of the church. And we hope that the Church of Uganda will see that um, in a deeper way. Every time the Archbishop of Canterbury in England um, has a conference. There are LGBT Christians from Uganda that protest and call for uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury to do something about the oppression and criminalization of homosexuality in in Uganda. So we call for that too, and our church has has borne witness to that to call for the the um, abolishment of any law that seeks to criminalize people for their sexual identities, and we continue to do that. At the same time, we do remember these martyrs who stood up for their faith in, the t in that time of trial, which had nothing to do with LGBT inclusion, but everything to do with the abusive um, agenda of this tyrant. So we thank God for these martyrs, and we pray for the safety of LGBT people in Uganda and in other parts of the world, and even in our own country, where um, people are subject to abuse and death and all sorts of discrimination as well. So 
that is who we pray for today and thank God for, but also uh, remind ourselves that this struggle for liberation has not ended. O God, by your providence, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Grant that we who remember before you the blessed martyrs of Uganda may, like them, be steadfast in our faith in Jesus Christ, to whom they gave obedience even to death, and by their sacrifice brought forth a plentiful harvest through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. I had the chance to worship with some Ugandan Christians in Iraq. They were um, contractors there that were working um, for our army and coalition government. And uh, their singing was amazing and their faith was amazing um, there in that place. I'm thankful for knowing them um, during that time in my life.